This week, we talk about the marketing stack, how there's an interconnected group of marketing tools that are supposed to answer questions like, what's your conversion rate? What's your churn rate? But how they don't really seem to work as well as you think, and whether or not we should just build these in-house instead. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Not much. I'm about to fly out to Boston uh, right after we record this. Going so, to see your bro? Seeing him, uh, going to a wedding is kind of the, in theory, the reason for the trip. But um, So I just scarfed down like a... Not a massive meal, but I ate a small meal very, very quickly right before this because I won't have time to eat after. So I'm like, uh, I might go into food coma mid podcast here. Cool. <laughs> um, uh, I had this like really interesting topic to talk about that has actually concluded itself, but I'm going to like leave you in suspense for a second uh, and tell the first half of the story. So uh, NPS, Net Promoter Score, is for people who don't know, you survey customers and ask them would you recommend this to a friend? And they give you a score zero through 10. And then that gives you average all together and get a score. Our NPS has been dropping lately, hmm. um, which basically is an indicator that customers are less happy with the product, right? Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of on our mind recently of like diving in and trying to figure out what's going on. How do you think you approach that? Do you, I usually, um, so when I, I don't have a current NPS survey that goes out right now. So this is, this is all historical, but mm -hmm. when, when I, when I was running people keep and we did regular NPS surveys, um, I appreciated like kind of a rolling 90 day look at it and whether it was changing, but I was more interested in the commentary and digging into like, cause you, you asked the question, right? Like, and then there's like this box of like, why? Yeah. Um, so I would I would probably dive into the whys and try to understand if if there if there's a significant um, you know uh, new thing happening relevant relative to the last ninety days. Is that what you did, or did you do something? Well, different? okay. So the, the way I consume it, I every single day get an email with all of the NPS scores from the day before, and I read every single one of them, every comment. Um, nobody who's unhappy leaves a comment unfortunately, or not like literally nobody, but in a year I might read hundreds, like a lot, like 200 comments or something like that. And two of them are like people who gave a, a, you know, low score. So yeah, I think that's a good start. I wasn't getting much from that. The next step we did was, well, unless you have other ideas, well, I, I, how are you looking at this? Are you looking at it? Like what's really useful is having like a, a last 90 day, and like a last 30 day. And then you can kind of see how the last 30 day compares to the last 90, which gives you a trajectory. Yeah. Uh, so we, and, do, we do last three months, last 12 months, but yeah, same idea. Cool. And yeah, it has been going down like the trajectory. Now there's a lot of noise. So like it's actually been going down since sometime in 2021. And I noticed this, but it's like, you know, sometimes you have a quarter where Maybe like three years ago, a bunch of people signed up from a specific source and they get surveyed during that quarter. I didn't want to overreact to it. How significant is it? Like, can you share numbers or do you want to like keep that? Yeah, private? I don't. It's not, it's not a privacy thing, but so the actual score has dropped by uh, I don't have them handy. I should have pulled this up, but like uh, it's on pace because we do a 12 month average for like what our actual score is. 
we're not a full year through the problem, but I think it's on pace to get cut in half, basically. Ooh. Which is significant. Um, yeah, that, that would make me, like, my stomach hurt. Yeah, and specifically one-star reviews, uh, like, as opposed to... We, we actually do one through five stars instead of zero. We, we do a slightly modified version of it, but... So the next thing we're going to do, Bracken, my co-founder, who is very good with data, was going to dive in and figure out, like, what, you know, what does this have in common? Is it like multi-user accounts? Is it single user? Is it specific industry? Like, what are the patterns we could find? Um, kind of looked like it was the owners of multi-user accounts that were primarily driving this, uh, although a lot of noise involved. Anyway, we're, we're diving through all that. Now I'm going to ruin the story because the ultimate answer was um, he, Bracken noticed while digging through the data that a lot of our one-star reviews were getting submitted like literally within five seconds of us sending the email. So basically, we are pretty sure what's happening here is there are like anti-spam, anti-malware things in email clients that will just click the first link, but they're not clicking all the links. Um, and most of these, I think, get automatically filtered out by our email provider, but some new email client must be doing this that isn't getting filtered out properly. And it's been increasing in volume over the last year. And so basically, if you filter out clicks that happened immediately, our NPS has actually been going up this whole time. <laughs> so do you do you believe that it's not just like a rage click? Uh, it's it's too fast. It's too it's fast enough that I would be surprised if the email has even been delivered to the person's inbox yet. Hmm. It it could be a rage click, but it it would be surprising to me. Could you test it and like put a man? Man, what a mess. Yeah. Silly. We, we were really, I, I was like, shit, like something is wrong here. And then maybe, maybe nothing's wrong. But yeah, so what, the plan is a, apparently most of these tools don't run JavaScript. So what we, the next step is to, I, I want to do this for all our emails, not just MPS emails, but basically put an intermediate step in where they, they click a link, nothing immediately gets registered. It loads a web page and then that causes an Ajax request to actually record the score. And so if if it's a bot, there's nothing stopping them from executing JavaScript, but probably that will filter them out. That's that's the next step here, I think. I don't know the technical details of that, but it's like, if it works, awesome. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy to me, though, that like, I, I posted this on Twitter, and like a bunch of people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can't trust any clicks in emails. Like, there's all these clicks that... Uh, you, you just have to ignore, but there's no like, you'd think there would be a generalizable solution as opposed to every single company trying to figure out a way to filter out all the bot clicks. Yeah, it's really interesting too, because like for my newsletter, I do like to look at my engagement for after I send a broadcast and like how many unsubscribes I'm getting and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, the click, I always like, it's always interesting to see clicks. And then there's always like some percentage of the people who click everything. And it's like, no, you didn't. Mm -hmm. You can click everything in the newsletter. Yeah. Um, and I we, think those, and it happens immediately after sending it. Right. So yeah, probably the same idea. We had, this is very rare, but every once in a while, a customer will come to us and be like, all my tasks are just disappearing. And we're like, and, and we kind of never really figured it out. But now after we noticed this, we went back and we we're like, we, we send them an email with their agenda every day. We think it was just automatically clicking all their tasks, like the little checkbox on all their tasks and submitting it. So. Yeah, there's all kinds of like potential. I, I guess I'm surprised. Like you'd think you and I would know that this is a thing, 
because like so much harm could be done by this. Uh, and now that I know about it, I think I know how to prevent it. But like, I've never seen anyone talk about this before. Yeah, I, I, I would never have thought to worry about this. But now I'm going to think about this next time I do an NPS or and be like, how many of these are fake bot clicks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, the final point on this, I'm actually a little disappointed that it's not real uh, because this started, the MPS started getting worse at the same time that our growth started kind of plateauing. And we were like, you know, it's growth marketing is so nebulous. It's not my strength. But if it's like, if people are legitimately less happy, I've got like a very concrete thing I can go out and fix. (laughs) And so Brack and I were both like hoping. Opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And now we're like, shit, well, it's not that. (laughs) (laughs) That sucks. I don't know. Anyway, that's my little uh, misadventure for the week. What have you been up to? Uh, I have been doing daily morning meetings with JD for the past couple weeks. Hmm. Um, and it has been really awesome. One, I think we, we don't work together that closely, but we have open enrollment coming up. Um, and we decided like, Hey, we let's, let's just like spend an hour in the mornings together and see what we get done without related to our plan. And we've been really honing in on like, how do we, what's our like core messaging? Cause what we've learned this year is we have a ton of customers we're identifying we're able to identify people who buy their own health insurance but we have this discomfort with asking them to become our customers it's like we don't have a good like so let's just say like we role play tyler like hey do you buy your own health insurance you're like yeah I buy my own yeah. health insurance would you get through the marketplace yeah do you have an agent no and then we're like this is awesome well what do we say to you now? Like, right. we're just like, like get tongue tied. Like, do we ask you to become our, like, can we be your agent? And then you're like, well, wh- oh, sure. But then you never take action. Like, why should you take action to make us your agent? Right. You haven't offered them anything really. Exactly. And so, um, we've, we've done some exercises and I think we've gotten really good. Um, like basically our website's all wrong is what I've learned, <laughs> which I built it two and a half years ago based on hypotheses and like, but we yeah. got really clear on, on like what we are and, um, which is really critical because we want to spend a good bit of energy going outbound with prospecting in Q4, uh, in November, and then also spending money on digital marketing, which I'll talk a little bit about later in the podcast. Um, so uh, that has been really fun. Just work like we love working cool. together. Uh, it's like working. Yeah, I get the same feeling working with him without work, working with you. I just we get a ton done. Feels good. Um, well, and yeah. I mean, you're running a startup that you, you weren't working on at all. And I realize you're still not working on it as much as you want to, but like, it makes sense to me that having some, even if it's a minor involvement every day, uh, you could feel pretty distant from what's actually going on at your own company otherwise. Yeah. And so, uh, we, we were hesitant to do it, both of us. And then we just did it and we did it for a week and was like, that was really awesome. One of the best weeks we've had in a while. So we were like, okay, let's just put it on the calendar every, every, we have, we have it like three or four days a week. Um, and we just like left it on ind- indefinitely. And so we're just going to keep doing it until it's not useful anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I get, a, I get out of bed fast now. It's fun. <laughs> That's cool. Um, but, but, uh, uh, one of the key things that, that we've taken away is, um, is this idea of like managed health insurance or a- automatic, like automated health insurance management. That's like a core, like unique attribute relative to like a normal agent, um, and so we're latching onto that and, um, it's, it's giving us the words. So you said you've been like doing, I think you maybe said you were doing exercises or whatever, like how are you coming up with what, what message will resonate? Yeah. So we have a, a, a ton of, um, 
uh, of learnings that we have have had from conversations. So situ- like talking about per- situations, calls, emails that we've sent over the last couple of years, our current website pages, um, email exchanges, uh, you know, like everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we, I, I originally used the framework from a book called Obviously Awesome um, by, I think her name's April Dunford. I probably got that yeah. wrong, but I hope no, I got right. it right. Um, I took notes on that book years ago, posted on my website. And, but I, but I, but when I did the positioning originally, it was like highly hypothetical based on customer research. It wasn't based on trying to prospect and trying to market and trying to grow the business. Um, so the output of the same exercise was, was, was different. Yeah. Um, so you went through that exercise again, but okay. A, an abbreviated cons- version of it. Have you considered doing like formal, like uh, jobs to be done type interviews? Or do you feel like you get what you need just through normal day-to-day interactions? We've done those in the past, but I think we, we have, we have what we need to, to, to do this. Um, although I think we are going to have to validate this, um, Mm -hmm. work that we're doing with customer conversations. Um, and that'll, that'll be our open enrollment, uh, open enrollment will tell us whether we got this right or wrong. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. So that's been really fun. Um, and then, uh, I, in the evenings have been working on uh, setting up Google analytics and ad tools so that we can spend a ton of money. Uh, not a ton, but you know, like actually like run some experiments with mark, like marketing. Cause we're not doing any marketing and we haven't done any marketing. Um, so I'm actually really excited about this. I did not have any idea how complicated co- Google analytics was, how much JavaScript you need to understand in order to really like, Hmm. Yeah, understand. Like, take get the most out of it. Tell um, me about that because we do AdWords, and I don't think we're doing any JavaScript stuff. A Google Analytics. Not oh, AdWords. sorry, Google. An- oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, but like to really like set up Google Analytics right with Tag Manager and get it firing right, you really have to understand how the front end, like the browser, works and how the page gets loaded and the the elements on the page. And so, I think what I didn't appreciate until now is how much I could have learned about front end web development by becoming a sophisticated digital marketer. Mm-hmm. You probably yeah, do this already. I, well, th- no, I, I mean, that resonates like I, every time, because we've had two different people kind of transition f- from customer service into marketing. And I was kind of like, they're going to have to learn a lot of marketing. And like that came more naturally because I feel like ne- marketing skill, I mean, marketing's broad, but like a lot of it's more intuitive and human. In, for both of them, there was a lot of learning HTML and JavaScript and stuff like that, mm-hmm. even though th- there was no expectation of them being coders. Totally. So um, I, I, I'm looking forward to setting up um, conversion events. I'm, I'm just now at the point where I've got AdRoll, like a pixel uh, tracking on the site. By the way, AdRoll, have you looked at that in a while? I used it in like 2010 or something. It's been a long time. They've got a really cool feature. Um, I don't know if they had it back in the day, but... They have a feature where you put a pixel and for those of you who don't know who what AdRoll is, like AdRoll is a retargeting service. So basically you can um, basically assign, a, I guess it's a cookie to people who come to your site. AdRoll will help you basically identify that person's uh, digital like presence um, across all advertising platforms. So you can follow them around and like get them to come back to your site and you can customize like, let's just say a thousand people come to your site in a day based on like geography, what site they hit, which ones you want to like triple down on, double down on, triple down on in terms of ad spend, 
which is pretty important to us because like we're getting traffic from all over the world. We really only care about spending money to target Utah people. Um, and then within that, like people who are, who are signaling that they're shopping or, you know, have, mm-hmm. a, have an agent, but, but so that's cool. But they have this like feature that they they've added. I don't know if they had this back when you were messing with them where they will monitor um, form completions for an email dr- address submission <laughs> no. and associate that email address with the digital identity, which is pretty cool because then we can look at the email addresses Mm-hmm. And associate that email address with a, a constituent in our database, and know whether they like and qualify them, and then spend more money marketing <laughs> to that person based on whether or not they have health insurance, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but they they do it even if the form's never submitted. They do the, a form has to be submitted. Okay, on the on your website in order for them to tie an email address. Okay. To them. But when like you the, first said that, I was imagining like as you're typing, it starts saving it. So even if you only like fill out three fields, they're oh, like, I don't know. I don't. I think it's a form submission. Okay, but that um, means, but it, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that is that is cool. Retargeting is great. One of the big problems retargeting always has though is like someone signs up. The the normal tools like I think both Facebook and Google they have their own retargeting platforms, but I guess AdRoll must like sit on top of them somehow. But the problem we've run into is like someone will sign up and there's no good way to be like, this person converted, don't retarget them anymore. Or if you do retarget them with something else. So that's why I'm excited about the email address thing, because yeah. then you can say, hey, uh, people who have this are part of this list. Don't don't exclude yeah. because they're customers. Yeah, that's and there, there probably is a way around what I just said. Like we, we just couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's cool. But man, it's it's. Um, I didn't realize how technically complex uh, setting up proper tracking and tooling related to digital marketing was, and I am like sof- way more sophisticated than I was two weeks ago. But yeah. I am like still a very much a noob, and I'm gonna learn a ton over the next thirty days. That's cool. This is something that like when you like listen to marketing advice. A lot of it's just like, oh, just throw the JavaScript snip. Like, oh, just use Chart Mogul for this. Just use Bare Metrics for that. Just use and um, what you're experiencing to me is like level one. It's already more complicated than people say. Level two is when there's all these tools like Mixpanel and stuff that take data from. Like, you have to push data to them, like from your database and stuff like that. And in my experience, it's easier to build that stuff from scratch than it is to get your data into their system in a way that's actually uh, reliable. Yeah. Actually, that's related to a topic I have. On Go ahead. Today. Um, yeah. Well, uh, basically, so I'm, I'm going out to Boston. I'm working tomorrow with with my brother, uh, who, again, Bracken, the data guy. Uh, we're trying <laughs> the to... guy. The data guy. Uh <laughs> So like one of, he normally does DevOps, not data stuff, but like, because we're trying to focus on growth, we're like, yeah, what if we had a data scientist until we figure out growth enough that we don't feel like we need one anymore? And one thing we're talking about is like, do you build or do you buy? And I just am so dissatisfied with so many of these marketing tools out there um, where it's not their fault, but it's just like everyone needs something slightly different. And it's like, they give you these reports and it's not quite what I want and the data they have isn't quite right. And like they can track, uh, you know, someone clicking an ad to come into my site to sign up for a free trial, but they can't track it all the way to converting to a paying customer. Or there's always just something missing. And it's not like that hard to build this stuff. It's hard to build a general purpose one that would work for anyone. But one of the discussions we're having is like, should we treat this as a potential competitive advantage that we 
could make a like totally custom to our exact needs marketing stack to help with these marketing efforts. But a part, a big part of me, 90% of me is like, this would be a huge waste of time. And 10% of me is like, this would actually be a pretty enduring competitive advantage. Well, I can tell you that my journey with AdRoll was, holy crap, this is super simple. Like AdRoll made it simpler than anything else mm-hmm. I came across. And there was nothing else. There's nothing else that is anywhere close to as simple. And it's like, it gets so complex. Like the acronyms just get crazy once you mm-hmm. move on to the next tier. So I do believe that there is a huge hole for marketing automation isn't the right word, but like the digital marketing aspects, like the digital marketing landscape. I think like email marketing is pretty saturated. Um, like yeah. The, like the, the, the forms and, and, and that kind of stuff. But the, the top of funnel stuff where you're getting into cookie tracking and that stuff, if you could make that stuff out of the box is, is pretty interesting. The, the thing I'm wondering though, is like, is it even possible to make it simple? Because like a, everybody needs something different and B in order to do it well, you need access to lots of data from lots of different, it's, it, you can't do anything all that useful just with website analytics or just with Stripe subscription data or whatever. Right now there's this ecosystem of all these different tools that sort of integrate with each other, but not really. And if you can't connect everything together, like an A-B test you run on your homepage that doesn't connect all the way to whether someone converts from a free trial 30 days later, it's not a good A-B test, you know? Yeah, that's fair. So like, yeah, I, I, But I wouldn't try to solve that problem, I guess. Um, you, you're like trying to solve close, like the close, like making closed loop reporting out of the box and easy. Um, I think Not just, for other people, to be clear. Yeah, for yourself. Yeah, I, the 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 hypothesis is that um, this can't be done super well with existing tools, or with no tool could be built to make this easy for people, and no one else seems willing to build it themselves. So if we built it ourselves, we might have access to a level of visibility into this data that other people don't have. Isn't this like the the like job to be done behind like Mixpanel or Bare Metrics yep. or like some of these um, analytics companies? But it's, uh, yeah, but none of them do it. <laughs> they, they do a part of it. But my problem is, A, the amount of effort it takes to get the data in there, huge. Mm. B, what they give us isn't quite what we want because it's serving a mass audience. And C, it, none of them fully connect from the very start to the very end in a way. Like, like Mixpanel's great. They don't, last time I checked, really have a great concept for multi-user SaaS accounts. Like mm-hmm. for being like, okay, there are 50 people. They're all related to one account and one billing thing. They all have different events. One might add tasks and one might use their calendar and one might import contacts. And how do you associate those all with the usage of the user, but link them back to the actual account? It's just like impossible to have a general configuration. Yeah. So yeah, that's, so do, that's do you my think experience. That's solvable. It is solvable for just us. Like, Building exactly what we need. So what we're doing tomorrow in Boston is we're going to like design our perfect marketing tool. And then we're going to confirm what I'm about to say. But I think what we'll find is it's it's a big project, probably too big. We probably won't actually do it. But it doing it for any one company's needs is solvable. Building a tool, a third-party tool that's just supposed to make this simple and work for everybody, I think is not solvable. Mm-hmm. You know, that I think... Uh, the company that's coming to mind that reminds me of this approach is Xano. Have I talked to you about Xano before? No, I've never it's heard of it. It's a no-code back-end tool, Z, or no, X-A-N-O. 
Um, but I, I think it's actually pretty impressive. Basically, it's a CRUD app for managing backend code. Does that make sense? So you basically can set up a backend API. They manage everything for you, and you do it all through a user interface, hmm. um, including setting up users, everything. Um, and it's actually pretty cool. Um, you can do like cron jobs, everything. Um, but the, the way it started was they built it for themselves. And because uh, uh, cool. they wanted to like let non less technical people help manage the, the product. And then they exposed that product to, you know, non-technical people. And there is a similar thing there, but it's still super technical. Like right. there's so much logic involved and, uh, and training. And so, um, there, there, that, that would be interesting, but even if you just saw, like, it seems like worthy of the exercise, just if you solve your own problem. Right. Well, yeah. So to be clear, I have zero interest in building this as a product for other people. That's not even on the table. Will not do it. No interest. But what you just said is is an an interesting point because Brack and I were talking through like, like how how could we? Why doesn't this exist? What are we missing? One of the things is what most marketing, what most companies need in all of their marketing tools is for marketers to be able to use them. So like this is why you use Webflow instead of hand coding your own site. Is like you don't want to have to go through the dev team to make a change to your homepage. Bracken pointed out, which I think is very like a light bulb went off on my head when he said this, a superpower we have that other companies don't is that we feel very confident we're going to stay around our current size pretty much forever. <laughs> um, we, like it would be nice if a marketer could set up new campaigns or do whatever in this tool, but it's not really essential for that. to. Ha- we're never going to have a huge marketing department that has to be able to operate fully autonomously. And he was like, if, if you just treat that as the thing that we can do that nobody else can do, that opens up a lot of possibilities. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to connect to your Xano thing, because it's, it's going to be a much more technical tool to use than any of these other ones. Exactly. Yep. So, so you're not as opposed to this as I thought you would be, it sounds like. Well, I, what I'm having flashbacks to is how useful... Do you remember some of the stuff we built back in Zane Benefits where... Yeah, and you always were like, no, let's buy, stop building. Well, well only because um, getting improvements became like yeah. at the cost of improving the product. Like when you when you build something internally and it gets good enough, then you get people using it. And then all of a sudden you want to like advance it. Well, now right. like, you know, your CTO or your product guy is sitting down with you and going, would you like to make your customer's product better? Or would you like to make your, you know, yeah. your uh, employee's product better? And it's, uh, becomes a, you know, anyway, um, well, an interesting, sorry, go ahead. An interesting point on that, like Bracken, the work he does is valuable, but it's DevOps. It's kind of like, as long as the servers are running, who cares? Kind of, um, it, it would be taking his time much more than it would be taking one of our software engineers time against the product. Yeah. But like, I come back to, you don't have that problem. You don't have mm. like you, you should be putting all of your dev resources into figuring out marketing. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Right, like you don't like with any benefits. We didn't have a product that worked half the time. Yeah, it wasn't built. Yeah, that's interesting. We had put we had a better CRM product than we had a better uh, benefits product uh, at one point. As any benefits. Yeah, the history for people who don't know is like I built a CRM for our resellers to use to sell our real product, and that seemed like a more promising product that then I quit to start less annoying CRM based on like the basic idea. I mean, it's, it's a different product obviously, but yeah, that was the validation that less annoying CRM had a market. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I thought you would, I thought you would hate this idea. Um, 
interesting that you don't. The more time you put your your most uh, your smartest and and like people on marketing, the better. Like, do it. Yep. 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 That's fair. Also, like, we. This yeah. is why I loved the Alex. Um, like a couple couple weeks ago, we talked about Alex focusing on customer success a little bit more. I got that got me really excited because it was geared towards growth. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, we're going to do this brainstorming session tomorrow. Like, what could we build? There's no way we build the whole thing. You're going to come back and say we should build a a Calendly. That's what you're going to say. Appointment (laughs) appointment scheduling. But the thing is, again, it's not, uh, there's not that opportunity cost here because the people who would be building this marketing stack aren't the people who could build Calendly. Okay. Interesting. But um, yeah, well, uh, I'll I'll keep you, I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know what happens there. Um, related to the Xano comment I made and to the de- de- development, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting, um, I, I have this thing where I go through cycles of, okay, leg up health. I, I'm focused on that, but I always like to have this next thing that I'm worried about too. And my next thing that I'm worried about right now is leg up benefits. Cause I know that JD is going to execute leg up health. He's it's going to happen this fourth quarter. I'm like past the point of it not happening. It's going to happen, but I'm realizing like, I want to build like a benefit so badly. It's been long enough where it's like, it's time to build it. And can Leg- you summarize what these are again for? Yeah. So leg up health is a health insurance service for consumers. And it's like core to anything that we would want to do in the benefit space. Um, but people don't buy their own health insurance. You come to leg up health, you get served. Leg up benefits is an employer tool to offer a new kind of benefits. And the idea is you set just like salary, um, you set a fixed amount per year. It could be based on a percentage of salary, but it, it, it translates to a fixed annual allotment that gets accrued monthly like an allowance, as long as you stay with the company. And then you um, can use that money however you want to. Now, historically, when we've built these these solutions in the past, we've said, oh, you can use that for healthcare. I want to build something that says you can use it for whatever you want, including taking it out for tax-free money. So, or taxable money. So um, basically, what I, what I, what I want to allow is every single person at the company to get this benefit dollar amount and be able to make that money work for them however they want. If you know, I've got spousal health insurance, I take it out as cash and I pay for groceries. Um, if I want to put money in an HSA tax-free, I can redirect it into an HSA account. If I want to put it in an individual retirement account, I can put it there. If I want to put it in a 529 college savings account, I can do that. Um, I put the money where I want to, right? And Sounds if it's a lot if like I, salary, but yeah, and if I could, but if I can make, but what what um, leg up does is uh, when we can make it tax free, we do. So when when it goes to an HSA, it's tax free. When it goes to an IRA, it's tax free. When it goes to a, if it's a, there's a BYOD, bring your own device program, it's tax free. If it's going towards um, health insurance, it's tax free. Um, so. Uh, basically we want to build a platform that makes that simple. And then, you know, at the end of the year, we, we, we connect to the payroll company and we say, Mm -hmm. Hey, this person got $20,000 in benefits, but only 5,000 of it is taxable. So add $5,000 to their W2 and it's a wash. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, uh, that's this experience. Um, but then on like, you know, when you do that for an employee, which I think is a much better solution, um, then you need, you have this need on the uh, consumer side where you need to be able to serve them. Like the health insurance is at the core. Like if the, you're going to say go buy your own health insurance, you need to have a service 
to be able to, to say, get the no, we'll take care of you. And that's leg up health, right? So if you think about like build leg up health, then build leg up benefits, um, then build more consumer services like leg up health to monetize the other avenues, like 30 year vision. Um, but, um, at the core of, of this product is ACH payments. And I realized like that I've been shirking leg up benefits and like, because I'm scared of ACH, <laughs> I've been scared of ACH for five years since I had this idea of, of personalized benefits mm-hmm. and I've never invested the time into understanding it. Have you now? Yes. And I feel so much better. So t- what's, what's the TLDR? The TLDR is since um, like two or three years ago, which is like two years after I last looked at this and got scared, <laughs> there has been a significant like explosion of, of developer tools to enable access through apps to ACH, uh, moving, facilitating ACH payments. Mm-hmm. Everything from bank verifications through something like Plaid to uh, actually facilitating money without touching it. Um through like a Dwala API. And now like it's not the, the, the risk and the technical overhead associated. It looks like with facilitating the core of this product is now significantly lower mm-hmm. than what it was five years ago when I last looked at it. Let, let me just clarify two things for, uh, so one, you're talking about the reason you need, well, first let me say for people who are not based in the U S ACH is, is basically like a wire transfer. It's how US, you transfer money from one person to another without spending massive amounts on fees, basically. Yeah, and there's a there's an international, there is an international play with ACH now, but like there's a different clearinghouse for the internet, for international payments, mm-hmm. but it's called, it's the automated clearinghouse. It's a, it's a, it's effectively a daily, multi, multi, multiple times per day batching system that banks have come together from like since the 1970s to like move money around. Yeah. And the reason other countries don't use this is because they have immediate transfers that are way, way better and cheaper. And America is like super backwards on this. Yes. But so, (laughs) so that led me down another rabbit hole, which is the federal government is actually planning to release what's a a new payment system called FedNow. Have you heard about this? I, I saw like a headline, but I don't know anything about it. So I'm just like, holy crap. Like this is like, this is, um, railroad that is coming to me for mm-hmm. this product at the right time. And um, anyway, it's just, it got me really excited. So that, by the way, like, I don't know, like, is that definitely happening or if so, when, but like, let's say it does. That to me is anyone who's like, oh, I want to start something, but I don't know what or whatever. When you see a big shift like that, I think a pretty decent approach is to be like, someone's going to make a whole lot of money off this and there's not much competition yet because it's brand new. I'm just going to figure out a way to be a part of that. Yes. 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 So anyway, I learned a ton about ACH payments. I'm not going to go into any more details than we've talked about today, but it's leading to another question, which is my next fear. So every time like you, you get clear on a fear, you go tackle it. You're like, okay, I got that. Now what? <laughs> now I'm like, okay, do I try to figure out how to build this myself? Or do I just, do I go hire a, a software development firm? Or do I go find a partner to go build this? This is way more technical than anything else I've, I've, would have tried to build yeah. it will require lots of hours, but is this something I should just roll up my sleeves and try to get to an MVP late? This, nights, this weekends, meaning leg up benefits, leg up benefits, uh, while JD's rolling with leg up health, or is this something that I like is outside of the technical scope for me to even try to do? Um, and I need to just go hire a firm. Well, let me ask you a question on that. Like, 
back in the Zane Benefits days, we, you and I have so much context that we could not possibly catch our listeners up on. But yes. A lot of this is reminiscent of things we used to work on. Zane Benefits was a software product that seemed fully automated and like sometimes things were. And a lot of the times a customer would like submit a form and then on our end, like a human would call someone up and or whatever, take an action. We had like, a, we had a, notch, a daily notch file that we would. Oh, I remember yeah, building yeah, that ACH yeah. system. It was a nightmare. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Ben did most of it, but I, yeah. I worked on it a little. Yeah. We, ugh. Uh, that would be so out of compliance in today's world. Like, oh, it was really? like we were actually the originator, I believe, in that situation, weren't we? Like we had built our own AC. ACH. Yeah, we like created text files that we had to FTP into some server somewhere and then like money moved as a result of that. <laughs> yeah. But Debbie uh, had to do something daily for yeah. that to happen. I remember <laughs> I, I've seen I remember the workflow. Sorry, I interrupted. So part of my question here is like, could you build like a no-code form and then like put a lot of human labor behind the form to actually make stuff happen to prove this out without like fully automating everything? Because it sounds like a lot of this is you just need to know what they spent their money on so that you can categorize it correctly. I um, don't believe this is a very fun product for the consumer if we can't move money. So, But let's say you can move money, but you do it like a person types something into but, Wells Fargo. So that's Yes, yes, if I can do if I can do that moving money, yes, I would, would love to do that. But I don't know if I can. So, sorry, set aside the moving money part. Let's yeah. say that's solved. Yeah. The rest of it, does it need? No, a it doesn't lot need of... to be automated. Okay. I, we could do, we could definitely do it behind the scenes, like with a daily, like you know. You know I'm. What is, what is it? Human Turk? Is that what it's called? Like, yeah, the mechanical Turk. Yeah, the mechanical Turk. Yeah, like sure. I'm quite confident that if you can get a spreadsheet of transactions you need to make, you can find a way. If once a day someone has to do a thing. That's that's got to be doable. I don't want to know what people's. I don't want to store any bank accounts, and I don't want to touch the money. Those are the two constraints. So yeah, they've I, got. So I've got to leverage an API of some kind. But you think I could figure this out? That strikes me as something that's solvable without like massive engineering resources. As long as you don't mind, let's say it's an hour a day of someone's time pushing buttons. Uh, that the the ability to de-risk this. Um, before investing into significant software engineering resources would be totally worth an hour a day, 365 days a year. Yeah, that's I could be totally wrong. But given like as someone who built or was a part of building an ACH system, even if you had to build that part yourself, I mean, I guess in that case, you would have to store their account number like you're not storing anything too sensitive, but. I, there must be a service out there that does this for you. I think it's I think it's Plaid and Douala together, where you verify the bank account through Plaid, and then import the information through Plaid, and then set up, like create a customer in Douala, and Douala stores all that information for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm wondering if you could even just have it go through their payroll system. Like, why do you even need to initiate this? I don't want it to go through the payroll system um, because I want it to be. Uh, there's there's all sorts of configuration requirements on the payroll that um, get uh, around taxes that I want to uh, I want to avoid having to educate someone on. I want like it to be like an Expensify experience. You literally sign up, add employees, they start using it, and then you log in, you make reimbursements, and the employees are delighted. But the employees with Expensify get their reimbursement through Gusto or whatever, right? No, they get ACH. ACH, well, yeah, I mean, Gusto pays me through ACH. 
the expen- the Expensify workflow I'm talking about is a direct ACH from Expensify, not through payroll. Hmm. But then you're getting then you're building a, a payroll integration, and that gets even more complicated for me. Versus, I, and I don't want to build. Yeah. I do not want to build the download the the payroll report, add it to payroll process. I've, d- I've been there, done that. Yeah, you, that's what Zane Benefits used to do. Yeah, okay. That's not, well, that's, anyway, if ACH is the only thing that's scaring you off, I guess my point is like, it's a, it's a mess, or it was a mess 15 years ago. I'm sure it's better now, and it seems doable. So, yeah, I guess like the 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 the, the MVP here would be, hey, like figure out how to do this for, like we, we offer this benefit to JD right now. Yeah. At like Adventures, like build it for like Adventures. Yeah. Now, having said that, I would say like get through open enrollment before oh, you gosh, start worrying about like, yes. okay. this, is, this, this is more just like, you know, when sometimes you just want to work on something fun and exciting, yeah, yeah. Like, this is what's fun and exciting to me right now. Um, it's not, but, but th- there is a question there of like, should I, should I build this? Should I MVP this? Should I just go spend a ton of money on a firm? Like, yeah. Blah, I think blah, blah. a cool approach would be to say the first step is pay JD the current benefit you're offering by pressing a button somewhere that's like a, a, a tool with an API and then like make it so the button is pressed in Webflow and it triggers something. And like just gradually grow, expand the island out from that initial ACH transfer until eventually the whole thing's automated. Yeah, displace Expensify. So right now he's submitting all this stuff through Expensify. Um, don't record the reimbursement in Expensify. That's step one. Record it in my own system. Yeah. Or right. well, what I would do because I would I would tackle the thing you're most nervous about, which is ACH. I assume you can turn off ACH stuff in Expensify. Have yeah, record I, it there. I, I would, yeah, I would basically just do a manual rec- rec- record record, not actually the reimbursement. Go into my new system and just get, phrase one is just like make it so I can reimburse JD whatever was owed him in Expensify through my my platform. Yeah, that's where I would start personally. Yeah, that's brilliant. These are the little breakthroughs. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. I would have spun, I would have spun on this um, with conversations with lots of other people before I, I landed. <laughs> thank you. You just got to talk to people who have built almost this exact same thing with you before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like, yeah. We should have leveraged that more uh, in hindsight. Yeah, um, but we didn't. <laughs> For sure. All right. Um. All right. Last uh, t- last episode, I mentioned we decided not to do interns. Um. Oopsie. Yes, we are doing interns. Uh. There's probably not much to talk about here, but I mentioned we had an offer out to one of our coding fellows from last summer, uh, and I was like, she's not going to take it, so we're not going to do interns, but then she accepted, uh, and I think it would be kind of cruel to her to like have her be the only intern. It would be a pretty lonely summer, so we're going to go find one more, and we're going to have interns after all. <laughs> so I can't wait to have this conversation again next year yep, to see, if, yep. like, see what happens. So much for that plan. But the, the thing that I really do like about it, though, th- the reason I was sure she wouldn't accept... I gave her the offer and I basically said, like, I knew she doesn't want to work at a big tech company, but I said, like, you can get a job at like, or an internship at Google or wherever, like on paper, you're a a rock star. Go do, go do that. Even if you don't want to work at Google, having that on your resume is going to be great for you. Like, so I literally, I handed her the offer and said, you should not accept this. Um, And I thought she would do that. What was her reasoning for accepting? I haven't like talked to her in detail yet, uh, but. I feel very good. She must have really enjoyed last summer for her to not even. She did this before the career fair event. Like she did not apply for other stuff. She just uh, accepted. So it surprises me. I'm thrilled. Like she's great, uh, and it speaks highly of the experience she had, which makes me feel really good. But a little unexpected. 
Congratulations or sorry. I don't know yeah. what to say. Both? <laughs> no, yeah. I'll take the congrats. <laughs> anyway, just figured I'd give an update there. Um, one other update uh, that I don't think needs to take too long here. We talked one or two episodes ago about like what should a business be willing to spend to acquire a customer? Mm. Um, I don't think we really... Did, did you re-listen to our episodes? I don't know if you... I used to. Um, I've been so busy lately. I haven't had for a couple. What, what are yeah. you... What, I, what? I went back and re-listened to it and I was just like... It was an interesting conversation. I don't think we really got any kind of satisfying system or framework or answer at all. But after talking to you, it was helpful for me. I was basically, one of the things you said was just like, yeah, do it. Like spend whatever you need to spend. Now, I do think your your argument was like, spend it to experiment to see what works and then try to make it more efficient. That's not the situation I'm in. Like these are channels we've been doing for years. We already know what we, we know we can't increase our volume with our current spend. But we decided previously we were willing to pay about one year, about $180 to acquire a user. And we're just going to switch that to $400, which is a significant increase. Uh, and just see like, does that change? Like AdWords doesn't work at 180. Does it work at 400? Maybe, you know? I love it. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, um, can you report back on that? Uh, I'd be interested, like two, two sides of that. One, does it unlock a, some level of like traffic that that you weren't like even touching before? And then the second would be, does it change your thinking at all? Um, right. In terms of the like, like the at -ba the at bats you're taking. Um, I, those the very interesting like psychology there. It's a four x, three x, three to four x increase. Wow. Yeah, not not four, but yeah, it's it's a little more than doubling, and yeah, it's. You said hundred dollars before, and now you're four hundred. It was right? one eighty. Oh, one eighty. Sorry, one eighty. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's this horrible dynamic where if you double the price per click and double your budget, you're going to get the same number of clicks and just pay twice as much for it. So you have to both double the price per click and then quadruple your budget or something like that if you actually want to see an increase in volume. So it, it's a it's a nasty curve uh, that we're trying to take on here. But yeah, I'll definitely report back. How long are you going to let this run uh, before you go? I can't like as long as you can take it and not throw up. Um, yeah, I so we're starting with Captera PPC is the first channel we're doing this with because it's like we have years of success with it, but at a low volume because to get more volume, you have to spend way more. So I think I think the plan is basically to spend like we've been spending one or two thousand dollars a month. And I told Eunice, your goal is to spend ten thousand dollars a month on Captera alone. Um, and we'll just see what happens. And then after that, we'll probably move on and do it with AdWords. That's awesome. So we'll see. I love <laughs> this. To be update. continued. <laughs> I'm, I mean, it, made me, it makes me nervous for you, but like burn it, the, the money. The thing is, if, if we lose 20 or 30,000 on this, it's really not, a, I, I can't believe how like privileged I am to say this, but we make 300,000 a month. We spend very little on marketing. I think this is a reasonable risk to take. I love it. Uh, one quick update for me related to like kind of being a little bit privileged is when you're privileged, you let your recurring subscriptions um, build up <laughs> both for business and personal. And I like, I like, I heard like on a radio, I, I was driving, like someone said like, you should do this purge. And so I went through and just did it. Mm -hmm. I cut like the amount of money I cut from personal and business is exceeds like lots of money. Like I can't, really? I'm embarrassed to say how much money. So like, what are some services that people might be paying for that they didn't think about? 
it's not even that you're you, you you it's not even that you're not thinking about them. You're using them. You're thinking about them. But when you think when you really add up the cost and you compare it to alternatives of like mm-hmm. non subscription goods, you're like, oh, the convenience fee here is so significant. So meal delivery was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, DoorDash is another. But I don't I don't That's consider a that a subscription. So yeah. I wouldn't put that one there. But like subscription meal delivery, um, like reading subscriptions. I unsubscribed from like probably. Three or four hundred dollars uh, worth of annual like subscriptions to reading like materials. New York Times, Audible, yeah, um, Trends.vc like mm-hmm. was one. Um, like, but they add up, um, and uh, you know, maybe I'll subscribe again if I want it. So my, I went through Netflix, unsubscribed Hulu. It's like there's no reason to keep a subscription up. Like, you can go resubscribe. Yeah. Like the minute you need it again. And guess what? I definitely, what? I, I definitely did this with D- Disney's. I, I watch a lot of st- streaming services, but like yeah. Disney plus, I'm like, you put out one good show a year. Maybe if that I'll just go subscribe for a month and watch it and cancel it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, lots of money saved on this and I highly recommend it. Um, and then I was like, well, now that I've saved all this money, it's like, I, I've been holding off on like upgrading a subscription with front because like, I mean, we use that tool like crazy at Leg of Health and we're not using it to its fullest extent because we're trying to save money on this. I'm like, the savings that we just had more than pay for the front upgrade. We're not going to yeah. do it but because like, it's still not necessary, but just like, it's weird how much free money is sitting around in yeah. subscriptions. And at the same time, I was just going through the exercise. What would I pay for Notion? Because mm. I, I, over the last couple of weeks, I completely redid our project management flow <laughs> and like, I actually, I, I learned so much about Notion. I'm, I think, pretty good with it now. And I'm, I, I'd pay a hundred bucks a month per user. I think at the whole company, it's which is powerful. It's, it's as powerful of a productivity tool that I've ever used. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be a CRM for your, for your business if you wanted it to. A lot of people use it as a CRM, and I actually think. Back in the day, people would be like, I use Trello as my CRM. You'd be stupid to use a no-code tool other than Notion, I think. Like, mm-hmm. either get a real CRM or use Notion. Um, all right, I got to go in seven minutes here. Um, let's move to some some rants and shout-outs, even though I have a couple more real topics because uh, these keep getting pushed back. One thing I want to say, I got the new AirPods, uh, the AirPod Pros that just came out. Way better, right? Way better. Well, yeah, first, do, do you have them? Have you followed... Mm-hmm. Yo, you got them. I, I don't know the news, but I, I always lose my AirPod Pros, so I have to order new ones. So I got the new ones. The ones that came out like a week ago or whatever. Oh, no, I don't have those. I think that they're, they're AirPod Pro, AirPod, AirPods Pro 2, I think. Oh, is they way cool. better. I want these. They're like wild. So like the sound quality is a little better. They've got much better battery life. Do they stay in your ears? Pretty similar ear fit. Oh, uh, okay, shoot. They have one, a smaller ear plug thing. Anyway, the thing that I wanted to shout out though that I'm really excited by because there's a million of these Bluetooth headphones these days. Um, I think that what Apple's doing with AirPods are is the most exciting thing in big tech right now. Like I'm pretty disillusioned by big tech and like the self-driving car thing isn't happening anytime soon. Like Elon's not going to colonize Mars. I'm mostly pretty down on all that shit. But I think AirPods are going to be the first real version of augmented reality in a big way. And a lot of the improvements they did this year point to that, that it's not about like when you're listening to music or when you're listening to podcasts being better. It's like if you're if you have them in and you're not even listening to anything and an ambulance drives by, A, 
it will make transparency mode will make it sound like it's coming from the direction it's coming from much more accurately than it used to. And B, it will lower the volume of the ambulance. So you still hear everything around you, but in an augmented way. Mm. And it's basically like everyone's going to be wearing hearing aids all the time, but like really smart, cool hearing aids. This is getting into the transhumanism conversation. Have you studied much about that? No, I, I mostly I need, stay away from that. <laughs> this is what I, I, yeah. So if you apply, I think like the idea is like, what, what's the, what's, is it Moore's law that said like was applied to yeah. chips? If you apply it mm-hmm. to biology at some point, like human life gets, once you figure out how to double human lifespan, you never die. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's the central, I think, thesis behind transhumanism. That's a, if I was like independently wealthy and could do anything with my time, I would read about transhumanism because like life only gets better if you can do like crazy, crazy cool stuff. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Um, anyway, yeah, like AirPods. Cool. You got anything for four minutes? <laughs> I saw an interesting tweet from Jason Limpkin. Yeah, let's um, hear it. That made me think of you. Um, I'll read it. The ultimate test for every SMB SaaS vendor, insert less annoying CRM, is if you are okay losing your largest customers as they scale. Like I felt this at Zane Benefits all the time. Like, are yeah. you okay? Like when someone graduates you, it's you know a big chunk of revenue. Like you're you literally watch these people go from ten dollars to twenty dollars per month to a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars, and then they're like peace. <laughs> um, and like, you're t- we, you don't work for us anymore. And can you stomach that? Yeah. Like, what's your stomach for losing your largest customer over and over and over again? And I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I definitely think it's interesting, but let me disagree a little bit. He's t- so there's this like venture capital bubble bullshit going on where they think every small quote unquote small business is actually a startup that's like doubling every year and they're going to outgrow you. There are a huge number of small businesses out there that add like 5% per year and they will never outgrow you. The reason I like, yeah, we, we definitely have had people outgrow us, but it's not a huge problem for us because our average account is two and a half users. And when someone leaves us, it's like a thousand dollars in ARR we just lost and who cares, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you clearly can stomach it. I, ch- I was challenged with this at people keep, I had to co- constantly remind myself that it was okay but it, like, you know, you had much bigger customer. I, like you were not primarily a big account for you was not 10 people. It was hundreds, right? Hundreds. Yeah. They, someone would get to a couple hundred and they'd be like, oh, um, thank you. Uh, but we need to go to group health insurance. Yeah. I mean, that's I, that's especially an area where like group health and like running a bigger business without group health insurance is kind of like recruiting. Nothing you can do. That is tough. I hear you. I've got another tweet um, that is I could uh, that I liked, and that was um, Tyler Tringas. Uh, is that how you say his last name? I think so. I don't know. Um, he put out a tweet about how to think about. Uh, it wasn't really bootstrapping, but like if you look at the space, like between self funding and venture capital, how do you get? Um, what are the different like phases of capital? And it really helped me like just remember that we're like we're squarely in the first phase at Leg Up Health. And the thinking is different. Um, how you think about investing money, what the purpose of investing money is. I was applying it primarily to my own like capital. Like, what is the goal of my capital? It's not to get capital back; it's to get to the next phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 he broke it into four phases. I, I don't remember the exact name of the four phases, but I think the other thing that I was not really 
thinking about. So one thing I am thinking a lot about is, okay, we got to have a six. How do I retain JD for another year? Right. How do I retain JD for another 10 years? Because that's critical for the success of leg up health. And, um, it got me thinking like, it's not just, you can't just stay focused on what phase one and phase two, like getting to the next phase. You have to think about the phase four, which is monetization and monetization. When you have a business can happen a number, a number of different ways, but you can't ask people to delay salary, you know, defer, you know, invest capital. If you don't have a payday for them in 10 years. Yeah. And I have not thought enough about that and re- like make it a part of our conversations. I'm like, the different avenues for that. And I really appreciated the tweet because it made me go, okay, it's my responsibility to my wife uh, for how much money we're putting in to myself and to anyone I asked to come work at leg up health to think about the, the monetization phase of the business and keep that alive as part of the day to day so that people stay motivated and are willing to sacrifice and grind through the phase ones and phase twos when they're not getting paid market rates. Well, it's also, it's especially important for, uh, like a, you know, a calm bootstrap type business that maybe isn't trying to become a billion dollar company because, um, like right now when less knowing serum hires someone, we just pay them market rate or above and they're not making any sacrifices. But if someone's making a sacrifice and then you say, well, the, the eventual outcome is you'll get paid market rate. That doesn't make any sense. So you kind of have the longer you ask people to sacrifice, the more obligated you are to go big with it. A thousand percent. And so that, that clicked for me because of his tweet and I really appreciated it. So yeah, shout out to cool. you. Well, I got to go. Have a good uh, flight. Uh, we'll see you Thank next you. week, everyone. See ya.